0: Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. This episode is brought to you by Praxis, discoverpraxis.com. Derek McGill, who was interviewed on an episode from season one, dropped out of the University of Michigan. He went from the Dean's List to leaving school. Why? because he was bored, not because it was too hard for him or he wasn't good enough for an elite school. It just wasn't good enough for him. It wasn't bringing him what he wanted. It wasn't worth it. The prestige and the pleasure of others that he was there, not a good enough reward considering the life that he wanted to build. He quit. He joined Praxis. He's a digital marketing guru, all self-taught. After being in the program, we liked his work so much, we hired him on as our marketing director. Derek is one of many examples of young people today who are realizing the world is changing. It's changing fast. There's more opportunity than ever to be your own signal, to be your own credential, to create things and demonstrate your value creation potential through what you've done in tangible ways. Build a website, build an online presence, get work experience. Don't worry. It sounds overwhelming, but you get all of that in the year long Praxis program. It's not easy, but no great adventure is discoverpraxis.com slash apply you can join derek and many others in building the education revolution starting with your own life all right i am super excited to have in studio no less this time uh jeremy mcclellan Back on the podcast. yeah, Jeremy, good to be here with you. Yeah, good to be here. So Jeremy was on episode 26. And at the time, uh, I think the way I framed it up was Jeremy is someone who is working sort of a nine to five, but he's been doing this comedy gig for a year or two, doing as many gigs as he can, um, trying to just get the experience and exposure, building up an audience on Facebook, posting a lot of great stuff there. And now, fast forward, I mean, it hasn't even been a year since we talked, I don't believe.
1: And what number is this?
0: Probably this is, this will be episode like 64, or okay, 65, cool. something around there. Right. So um, you are now in, mm-hmm. what, two weeks is your last yeah, day next week, oh, nine to five. It's my, yeah, it's
1: my last day at work. I'll be doing comedy full time.
0: Uh, how did that come about?
1: Um, well, it was sort of, it's, it's sort of interesting, like, whenever somebody asks me, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know what this says about myself, but um, I was talking with a friend about, about this. And I was like, you know, I was, just, I was getting so many offers to do gigs that I would have to turn down because of my job. And I was like, that was just like the universe's way of telling me that like, I need to, to, uh, to, you, know, to like, the, you know, this is the jumping off point. This is when I need to do it full time. And then I was talking to like a Christian friend of mine. And I was like, you know, it was just really God's way of telling me. Like I changed it to God. You know? Yeah. And then I was talking to a libertarian friend, I was like, you know, it's really just the market's way <laughs> of telling me So I don't know if, if I think that universe, God and market are interchangeable.
0: And then maybe like, I don't know, if you're talking to a, a like sort of lefty socialist, you would say like this is this is the community's this way. This is the community's way. Yeah. This is the mob the
1: the masses <laughs> the people. This is the people's way of telling me that like this is what this is what I should what do. What would
0: you say to like a conservative like who's not religious? This is America's A conservative way? who's not this is America, right? Telling me I need to do this, yeah, like a Trump type,
1: right? Okay, so like an alt right, yeah, type like person, not like
0: conservative but not religious, right? I don't know, man. That's a tough one. I, I think not run into a lot
1: of those people because
0: because we're, we're we're trying to think of like what takes the place of like to it to a Christian, what they would say, you know, God, yeah, to a libertarian is like you know the market or mm-hmm. your own self will community for a social... I don't know. I guess it would just be like America. Or the leader. Or like, you know... Like, <laughs> this is uh,
1: Trump's way of telling me. My
0: my lieutenant in my Marine Corps. I don't know. Right.
1: This is, you know... <laughs> this is myself.
0: So, uh... God, uh, the universe, God, universe, the market... The market everything Trump. told you. Everything
1: told me, like, this is, this is when you do it. And, you know, you always want to know like, like what are the signs that you should pursue something full-time. And... For some people it you don't get any signs and you you just jump off and you try and make it and you, you know sink or swim and that works for them um for me it just became so overwhelming where i was basically working two full-time jobs at the same time and uh if i wanted to do comedy full-time which was my goal like now it's time to do it so yeah, i'm doing it
0: that's actually a great um i like that process in, in this really sort of Sexy startup entrepreneurship culture. You know uh, whether you want to go be a freelancer or start a business. Mm-hmm. It can be easy to feel like, well, the only way to really do that is to to just throw caution to the wind, put mm-hmm. everything, and go do it. But there's a lot to be said. In fact, I was just reading a James Altucher article about this, about sort of letting your current job subsidize you pursuing your dream. Now, of right. course, you don't want to be ripping them off. You want to deliver the value that you promise. But to to let to, to test things out mm-hmm. and when you get to the point where you're literally turning down paid gigs, oh sorry man, I can't do comedy because I have to earn a living. Right. <laughs> you know?
1: Well, um, but in in this case it was like turning down better paying mm-hmm. gigs in order to work at a job that doesn't pay as well. And that that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to be like I can't do this free festival because I have to make a living. It's another thing to be like, I can't do this better paying corporate gig in order to like that's just that's that that makes no sense. And so, you know, most comedians have I mean that aren't famous like, you know, they have second jobs um that sort of uh subsidize, you know, that that let them pursue their dreams even within comedy, you have that. So like even if you're doing comedy full time, you have that where you have corporate gigs that you go and do and, you know, it has to be clean, it has to be um somewhat pandering and uh it doesn't necessarily feel like you're, you know, expressing yourself the way that you want to, and those pay well, right? Those subsidize the bar gigs, the not well-paying festival gigs where you can just be. So, like, you, you still have that even even within comedy.
0: That's interesting. I never thought about that with comedy. I know with you know, I have a lot of friends who have done the music thing, and it's like okay, you can be a, a lounge piano player or right. a cover band for weddings to pay the bucks, which is not a very glamorous or easy gig, mm-hmm. um, to, to be able to write and play the stuff that you want to right. as a consumption good sort of. But I didn't know that it was like that with comedy. So, I mean, give me, so, so corporate, tell me about the world of corporate comedy gigs. I'm new to this. What okay. kind of places are, are hiring people to do this? Well, so, um, like the, you know, annual HR summit. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> they, they might be like, we, we, know, we want a comedian, um, Let's say you have like an economics
0: conference. You're really good at doing An W-M economics conference, right. An <laughs>
1: economics and accounting conference. Uh, they may want entertainment, and they want the entertainment to be uh, usually – it's weird because they want it to be not offensive. They want it to be um, not terribly provocative. They don't want you to making statements. They don't want you making points really. They want you to be entertainment, um, but they also want you to be good, which is a bizarre – Combination. It
0: also feels like they want the signaling value of like, "Hey, we're the kind of company that's fun and zany and brings in a comedian," but not any of the actual things that comedians do, which is make you uncomfortable. Right? Comedians, comedians. you know,
1: we we offend people, we make you uncomfortable, we talk about larger social issues. Um, You know, they want to hear jokes about. They want to hear like hack jokes about the difference between men and women, but not anything that's like sexist. So, like, you have to be playfully. I feel like
0: there's a. I feel like there's an opportunity. Can't if, mention race. If you were just like purely interested from a mercenary standpoint, just as a business, and you didn't care about the craft, right? I feel like you could just pick a niche. Be like, I'm gonna be the comedian for accountants. Yeah. And you have like the best cash flow statement jokes uh-huh. on the planet, and just you'd be going to all these, you know, conferences. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, you could be like you could you could and and that is something that comedians struggle with. I mean, like, where do I want to be? You know, like I've um, I've got some gigs coming up for libertarians i've got gigs coming up for muslim student associations um those are the, a bunch of gigs coming up and i'm like okay so in order to fill out an hour right i've got to write material that would appeal to them or pick all from out from all my material so that it'll appeal mm-hmm. to them uh is that going to end up making me a better comedian or a worse comedian mm-hmm. so like and that's that's an interesting question um mm-hmm. Because what you, you you don't want to just become a hack, like a hired gun, um, where you're making a living but no other comedian respects you. Um but you also want to make a living and you wanna um if, if those are causes that you care about, yeah, then you want to you wanna help those too. So I mean I, I wouldn't I wouldn't like sell myself out to a cause I didn't believe in. Yeah. You know, where like now I'm the accountant comedian where I'm like talking about accounting and like <laughs> I don't know anything about accounting, but for some reason accountants really like me, you know. And so, like, I'm just going to do this as a gig. Like, I would feel sort of separate from my craft in that sense. But there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a socialist, write a bunch of socialist jokes, get booked at socialist stuff, you know. Yeah. Like,
0: I, I, went, I mean, this is this is probably one of the reasons why a lot of people don't turn what they enjoy into a career because it's. You didn't have to worry about this when it wasn't paying the bills. You could just say, "Hey, look, I want to do comedy on the side, so I want to do the things that I want to do. I want to do the ones that I care about." Right. Now when you say my comedy is paying the bills, you're faced with a lot of tough choices. Mm-hmm. "Hey, I'll pay you for this gig." And you got to ask yourself, "Okay, it will pay the bills, but will it help me advance what I want to do in the long term?" And those are just tough decisions that are stressful decisions. Yeah. And I think it almost I mean this is this is what I've always said about like I love music, but I don't ever want my source of income to be dependent on music because I mm-hmm. think I would start to hate it. I mean for one, I'm not good enough. Well, but yeah, I,
1: don't want you to play wagon wheels. Yeah, I, I don't know. want that pressure right. Right,
0: to like have to do that because music is something very personal to me. It's not part of, you know, things that I that I want to sort of do right. for other people. And then that's a hard realization to know which which type are you. So did you go through any period where you were like, do I actually do I even want comedy to be my bread and butter? Will, will will that be? Will I enjoy it less? Was that hard? Did you think about that? Um,
1: no, I don't think I did. I don't. I don't think I went through a. Um, let me see. Like, ask that question again. Okay, like, so in a did, different way. So, so,
0: before you decided to, to go full time at this, was there ever mm-hmm. a point where you thought I like comedy? But do I actually want to rely on it for my income? Will that make me like it less? Did you ever worry about losing the love of doing comedy?
1: No. What I, what I worry about isn't that I'll, I'll, I'll like stop liking comedy. Um, what I would worry about is uh, – well, I guess maybe. I mean there's, there's – one danger is maybe you um, – maybe I develop like an hour of comedy where it's, it's good – and it appeals to a lot of people, and I go around doing that, and I'm doing the same material all the time. Then maybe I would, may, you know, maybe I get tired of that, um, or maybe I would turn into like a sort of hack corporate comedian who um, goes to places and panders and doesn't challenge people, and um, you know, maybe I'll think of a joke that's amazing, but like uh, my my fans wouldn't like it. So maybe I maybe I'll keep that, you know, to myself. Who
0: who. Are you? Who are your fans right now? So you've done a great job of building up, and I think this is what's helped you get to this point, where you're getting people offering you gigs, mm-hmm. building up a, a tribe, a network of followers, fans, primarily using Facebook and social media. Yep. Obviously, your local gigs have been a big part of that and some not local gigs. How would you describe your fans now? Like, Is there is there any type of humor that your fans would not like or particular types that they do like, where you say, oh, I know my people are going to love this? Um.
1: People don't like it when you make fun of Bernie Sanders. Uh, that's really bad. They don't like that at all because that hits. That would only appeal. I mean, yeah. that, that So, would so be you
0: probably have a younger fan hard because yeah, younger
1: fan base that are sort um, of
0: ideal like, like right, idealistic. Whether idealistic, they are, yeah.
1: Um, I mean, on Facebook, it's like you know libertarians and Muslims and. Uh, <laughs> People on the far left.
0: Now, you're not So not Muslim, conservatives.
1: I'm not Muslim. But, but Muslims
0: mu- like you because you sort of point out yeah, like there's the various ridiculousness of, of like people's sure. fear of Muslims.
1: Sure, people's fear of Muslims and uh, other things that I'm interested in. Um, there's overlap between the concerns that libertarians have and concerns that Muslims have where it's like you know, war and immigration and the police state and all those so things sort of overlap. So you can talk about it and appeal to both people, but I, I, mean, I guess conservatives don't, aren't really huge fans of mine. Except my parents. (laughs) My parents are, like, the only conservative, like, super conservative fans I have. Um, But, like, other than that, it's, like, um, people on the far left, libertarians, Muslims. And so... uh,
0: So if you started making fun of, like, making jokes about Muslims in some way... Right. I mean... Do you ever think about oh this is this is really funny gag you know about I don't know what I haven't thought Ramadan of a joke or yet that's like, but you're right like, well, I haven't why?
1: thought of a joke yet that's like really like yeah I mean that that would be I don't know I don't know what would happen
0: well you know I mean I, I suspect that you write what you know yeah and you have grown up in a in sort of the Largely conservative Christian type environment, mm-hmm. and so it's easy to sort of poke fun at the things there. Whereas, like, you probably wouldn't know what what are funny jokes about Islam because you're not a totally it. Right. Yeah. right, yeah. And so it's mm-hmm.
1: like, you know, do I know something well enough to make fun of it, right? Yeah. And that's why you um, only
0: make fun of your family; those are the best. Well, that's
1: that's <laughs> that's uh, like online now. People on the people like who are on the right, we don't call you a cuck. Because you like a cuckold, because you're insulting your own people, like so. If you make fun of, if you're white and you make fun of white people, or you make fun of Christians, or you make fun of, like, you know, if you make fun of yourself, they'll like they'll call you a cuck. That's like their slur. Because, but I mean,
0: that's what you know best. That's exactly right about exactly right? right.
1: And so like, and because anytime you do uh, make a joke out of ignorance, like chances are it's it's not somehow like immoral. Yeah, you know, it's just not going to be that fun, like funny of a joke. It'll be a hack joke. It'll be like, you know, if if you don't have any trans friends and you don't know anything about transgender issues and you try and write a joke about like, you know, trans people, like it's it's going to be something that they've heard a million times, Hmm. you know. Hmm. And so, having a depth of knowledge about something helps you write better jokes, um, more knowledgeable jokes. And so, I, I try not to write from a place of ignorance. Unless I'm, like, playing an ignorant character. But, like, um, you know, writing from a place where, uh, you know, that I don't um, – I don't know.
0: No, so, okay, okay. So let me let me ask you about your – now that you're not – because if you're writing about what you know, right. some of it – and I know because I've seen some of this stuff on Facebook. Some of it has to be certainly – what you're doing in your day-to-day life. So when you've had this job and you've worked with right, people... Right, I've, I've
1: got plenty of... I mean, I've, I've worked with people with mental disabilities for 15 years. You know, a lot of your I've got have lots have of jokes like, and stories. I've very got... Very
0: funny about the way that people will stereotype those with disabilities sure. and whatever, kind of a, a really great bunch but of... But even, children. like, stuff that the people with disabilities
1: do is funny. And, like, that's funny. So and like, there's no reason not, gonna, not to...
0: Are you worried you're not going to have that material? So, if you're doing comedy full time, no. are you just going to write comedy about doing comedy? Where are you going to get your material? Oh, right. Out? So, like the, the, yeah.
1: the, like, the stereotype is that people's first albums are really good. Yeah. You know, and then their next albums are all about life on the road.
0: Yeah. And yeah. it's
1: like, oh, come on. You know, but like, <laughs> so this guy came up to me after a show one time, and like, those are all your jokes from so now how on. How do you avoid that?
0: What do you want to immerse yourself? Stay in?
1: doing interesting stuff. Okay. Um, like, if you're doing interesting gigs, um, you know, like I mean there's advice about like if you go someplace interesting, stay the week there mm-hmm. don't don't just come in and do a show and leave um if you do a show in california stay in stay in Yosemite like you know just things like that like put um,
0: yourself in uh i don't know to to quote top Gun one of the greatest movies yeah have, right target
1: rich environment target rich environment right. yeah a place where um you know just and, you know, ideally you do that before the show so that you have some familiarity with the area before you go in. You're like, you know, so you, so you don't go up there and you're like, hey, Detroit. And they're like, this is not Detroit. And you're like, oh, no.
0: Or you pull like the politician thing where you're like, hey, what about local sports yeah, team? Yeah, what about local sports team? Right. Uh, so, Okay. When you begin, now when you don't have your 9 to 5 going here, right. which is coming right up, what's your daily schedule going to be like? Are you a guy who like, I need my routine, I need my schedule? I think
1: I have not developed a, a schedule yet. Um, I will hopefully have a schedule where I'll wake up probably at the same time um, that I have been waking up, um, like 7 o'clock. And then um, you know go for a walk, make breakfast. It will be more leisurely. Um, go to a coffee shop and write. Meet with friends and write, um, and then who knows what my schedule will be when I am, you know, flying to and, you know different places or traveling. Um, but I think I will need that um, that like routine. Um, I need routine as a person. Yeah. Like if I don't have it, I start to my thoughts become chaotic, and uh, and not in a good way. Like I, I become less creative because my mental energy is meant or is put into like. You know, figuring the day out. Yeah, so
0: that's that's a that's a really keen observation, and that kind of self knowledge I think is really powerful. There's obviously, you know, it's commonly assumed that creative people, oh, you can't constrain them with structure. And I'm I'm not implying that someone outside of you should constrain you, but you know, I can't be constrained by schedules or whatever. I need to be creative. And I'm not saying that's not true for some people, but I think so often. When you, when you can turn creativity into a discipline or when you, mm-hmm. can, when you can impose some structure on yourself, it actually frees you up. You don't have to think about yeah. figuring all this stuff out of the day and, and it just allows you to, your mind to sort of be solely focused on that. That's, right. a, that's a cool observation.
1: And, and a lot of people know the – like a lot of artists make, make that mistake where they, uh, they think they're less of an artist if they're like poets – Like, there's a poet that I like, Taylor Molly. He does a lot of poetry slams and stuff like that. And um, uh, somebody asked him, like, you know, what do you – somebody at a a poetry slam asked him, how do you write poetry? Like, what's your process like? And he's like, well, I get up and I run five miles. And, like, I – and he had this very beautiful thing about, like, you know, I drink this like special tea, and then I, I go and I, I have parchment and I have quill and I sit like on my on my roof of my apartment, and um he's like or I just go to my office and sit at a computer, like he he writes poetry sitting at his computer, yeah. Um and a lot of people have that process. I mean, I I will write jokes and stuff sitting at a coffee shop typing on my computer.
0: Okay, so you brought a uh, book in here with really, you, like a I do. I don't write out my
1: because I can't write. As fast as I can think, but I can type really fast. Okay. So, like uh, in my notebook, I'll put thoughts down, like different thoughts, um, which may or may, may may or may not make sense later.
0: And then, when you're developing them into the jokes, the material itself, you're usually typing them up,
1: right? I'll type, yeah, I type them up. Um, that usually works pretty well.
0: So now, in addition to continuing to create comedy and continuing to, you know. Um, share things on social media and keep keep that awareness mm-hmm. out there keep your your audience engaged you've got sort of a business side of things to sure yeah to, to quote or to paraphrase jay-z you're not a businessman you're a business mm-hmm. man so now you have things like what are my prices right am I gonna, how am much, I much gonna do i charge 10.99 and get reimbursed am i gonna set up an llc corporation do i have I don't to know. Does that stress you out at all? It does. Okay.
1: It really stresses so me out. So you're like,
0: I wasn't stressed until you started. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> that, that, yeah,
1: now I'm stressed out. <laughs> I was looking forward to it. Um, no, that, that, that stresses me out because uh, organizations talk to each other. Um, and, you know, I don't want to, like, do a free gig and just because I want the exposure. Yeah. And then now everybody knows I can do it for free. And then I ask for a lot of money and they're like, No. Um, It's
0: a great great black box because variable pricing is ideal for you to be able to be like, well, I think they'll pay it, so I'll charge them this. Well, this one won't, but I'll enjoy it. I'll charge them less. Right. But they talk to each other, and you don't want people being like, wait a minute. He charged me twice as much.
1: But there's – I mean I I think that's less of a risk.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, People talking to each other is less of a risk. I mean if they're talking to each other, they they know how stuff works. They know how pricing works where – you know, if there's um, a gig for a, a nonprofit that I really believe in, um, then, like, you know, I, I might do that for less. Whereas if it's just some corporate gig, I'm going to be like, you better pay me a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it depends on how big the organization is, how many people. I mean, I have people send me emails. Uh, I put this on Facebook, but, like, people sending me emails that are just like, hey, would you be interested in doing stand up for our organization? And that's the entire email. And I'm like, "You mean am I a stamp comedian interested in doing stand-up comedy? You know what? I think I am.
0: so okay, so let me let me so, try like, to... I, so like
1: how do I and I don't know this, and like
0: you know, and you, you know, I send you
1: messages yeah, on yeah. Facebook, so, like so, what do I do, man? What do I, do I do? So
0: I've been on the other side of that email many times as well, where I used to organize events and bring in speakers. yeah, and this is a common tactic that I would sometimes use, what they used with you, which is, okay, I've got this event, maybe I've got a budget. Maybe I've got three grand I can spend on this event. And I want to maximize that. I want the speaker to come in, but I don't know if they've charged a lot of money, if they do it for free. I don't know their gig and, it's, and the pricing is so wide and variable. So the first thing I always do is I try to sell them on the, hey, have this amazing thing. I think you're amazing. Would you be interested in coming and speaking? And I don't say anything about pay because sometimes they respond and say, yeah, I'm totally down with that. And they don't say anything about pay. And so you are like, cool. I guess you're not getting paid. Right, exactly. And but sometimes they come back and say, "Here's my fee." Or right. worse than that is, "What are you willing to pay?" Cuz then I'm like cuz nobody it's like it's like in pawn stars. No one the first right. one so to say you, the number is like the loser. loser right. Yeah. So you're like, uh, what do I tell them? Do I tell them my real budget? Do I tell them?" Right. So it's this weird game. I don't know. I don't know. How do you do that?
1: I mean, I I don't know. And I'm I'm I'm
0: bad at that. So, you know, I feel like Cause I run into this sometimes, not a lot, but I do, I do speaking gigs and if it's clearly something where I'm going and and talking about Praxis and it's, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, benefiting Praxis, um, that's a different calculus. But if someone's like, Hey, come and give a talk about something or come run a public speaking workshop or whatever, I kind of, and I, I actually just saw this, was reminded of it on Facebook by a friend of mine but Michael Ellsberg the author of uh, I saw
1: saw you tag me in that. yeah a couple great
0: books The Education of Millionaires What's Your Happy Price yeah your happy price like okay when you think about if I say yes to this am I going to start to feel like a little sad or frustrated or unhappy that I did or am Mm -hmm. I going to be really excited like yeah I'm I'm going to give a talk I'm going to do a gig for this much and that's a really good I think way to like to test yourself it's right it requires a little bit of ability to you know imagine how you'll feel in the future which you don't always do perfectly accurately but i think it's better than trying to get really scientific about like what will the market bear and what should i be charging what's a just right. price because i don't know yeah i mean it's hard to think about that and it's hard to think about like you know how much
1: money do i want to be making per year that means i have to make x per week yeah right and so um you know like I'm not going to give numbers, but like, let's say that you know, you want to get a certain amount per year, divide that by 50, that's how much you need to make per week. You can do one out-of-town gig per week, right? Like yeah. Go, go, go yeah. someplace on a weekend, um, unless someone really wants to hire you to do a show on a Tuesday, like it's going to be a Friday or Saturday night, you're going to go there, that usually blocks off three days um, where you're not doing any other shows. Yep. Um, they fly you out, so you, flight plus hotel plus food, Okay. So now, what do you need to make on top of that in order to get what you want per year? That's tough. Yeah. It, like, and, and if and if that's the number, then like, okay, that's that's kind of a high number. Like, but that's that's what you should
0: ask for. It's pretty amazing what happens psychologically. Once so
1: co- co- comedians have no idea what they should charge because. When you start out doing comedy, you're making zero.
0: You're just like glad if someone laughs at you. You're glad if someone time. laughs at yeah. you. I mean,
1: all open mics. Like you start out like there's no minimum wage for comedy. Yeah. Like so you are starting out at zero. Can, you, can you imagine by the way if there was if there was it <laughs> would be awful. You'd
0: Never get started. On the other
1: hand, like yeah you you, you could never get started. Um,
0: so you know it's it's interesting because. Um, when you, when you think of it that way, okay, what do I actually need over the course of a year? What do I have to charge just in terms of like meeting my goals to make this thing worth it? Right. And you come up with a number and then all of a sudden you're like scared of that number. Like, oh my, I, I kind of feel sheepish about asking that. Yeah. And, but something powerful happens psychologically if you just own it and are like, no, that's the number. Look, they don't have to say yes, but it's dumb for me to do it if I can't make that much. So I'm going to charge that and we'll right. see what happens. And once you sort of come to peace with that, it's amazing how people's expectations adjust to what you put out there. Right. You know, they they people don't calculate whether or not the new iPhone is worth six hundred dollars exactly whatever. They just believe that whatever Apple charges is gonna be right because right. they have this they have this baseline understanding that Apple is a certain thing and they have a certain price. Mm-hmm. And if you start out as something different than that, if you start out selling the ninety-nine dollar phone and you jump to six hundred people aren't going to want to pay. But if it's like, hey, here's what I am. Here's what I do. Here's my price. It's amazing when people don't bat an eye, you know, at least, I don't know, in my experience, maybe people have batted an eye. So, so, okay. So now you have gigs. How many gigs do you have lined up over the next, what, six months, year, Uh, No, I mean,
1: I've got most of, um, I have to count them, but um, I've got most of the next three months booked. Okay. um, Which is ridiculous. Um, Like to where... Yeah, I mean, in a in a in like a, as far as you know financially put me in a very good position. Um, and then after that, it just depends. And like you know, my wife has a job and gets paid well. So, um, like, but I mean, I'm as far as
0: how, how is this going to affect your one your favorite one of my favorite oh my joke about stuff. how
1: she makes less than me. Yeah, um, I don't know because we'll we'll have to see after a year. Okay, right. So like, you know, the next three months are looking amazing to me right now, but like after that, what if, like, what if I do terrible at all the gigs in the next three months and then...
0: So, so the joke is something like, uh, about the... Look joke is how my, you know, my wife again. makes
1: 77 cents, um, for every 23 cents that I make. Because <laughs> my wife currently makes more than me, um, and, which is why I married her, so we could become one man.
0: Yes. You could become <laughs> the earning potential yes, of one of man. of one man. It's, it's perfect.
1: Um... Yeah.
0: So I have to – I got to pitch you on something because now you're a businessman, not my right. businessman. If I give you a free Praxis T-shirt, will you wear it on stage? Will I wear it on a stage? It's, it's nice crimson. You can wear a jacket over it because you're kind of a formal guy. Maybe, yeah. All right. Maybe. All right. When we're done here, I'm going to give you a Praxis okay. T-shirt. I like how you said maybe it was non-committal.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, but I'm going to give it to you. And then, like, what can you offer me for that?
0: Well, I mean, the T-shirt itself is of a very high quality. (laughs) It's it's really uh, really nice design. In fact, I have a picture of the drummer. What's the what's
1: the thread count? I have I have a lot of sensory issues. Uh, Yeah,
0: is it? um, I think it's Egyptian. Okay, Um, I don't know the thread count. I'll have to check. But uh, Cameron Sorsby, who uh, is my colleague at Praxis. He's really like into fashion and design and you know high quality clothing. Mm-hmm. He uh, got the t-shirt, so I imagine they are right. very very high quality. So we'll hook you up with one, cool. and then I'm going to be looking to see if uh, it shows up in any you know, okay. Instagram photos or anything. All right, and then you can say you know you're a corporate shill. Right. Um, so material. Uh huh. Does this change the amount of material you have to to come up with? Uh, and, and what are you sort of working on right now in terms of new material? Um, I'm working
1: more on um, – I mean I've got hours and hours and hours of material um, that I've done on stage that has worked well. And right now I'm working towards threading that all together into an hour-long clean set. Ah. So, And that's, that's, that's hard because some of my favorite jokes are dirty.
0: Your stuff isn't like super dirty. No, no, no. But like you know, it 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 touches on touchy issues. You know,
1: like um, you know, like if I do a joke about pedophilia, like (laughs) I'm not describing pedophilia. I'm not saying anything dirty about pedophilia, but just saying that (laughs) is not going to work at a corporate conference. And so that's 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 an issue. And so you have to take that away. That's one of my favorite jokes. Uh, But like so, there's all all those types of. Jokes I would have to, you know, put into a different set and but like, you know, creating an hour long clean set that I'm proud of. That's not just like, you know, babies cry too much, whatever. Like, you know, things that people actually enjoy that speaks from me, that is me. Um, that's what I'm working on right now.
0: Uh, how do you feel about, this is something that I hear a lot of comedians weigh in on, like Either telling jokes about things that you don't know. So let's say you were telling jokes about yeah. having children or something. Right. Or even going further, sort of stealing jokes, which gets to be a fine line because you can hear something, be sort of inspired by it, take it a different direction. Or sure. even forget consciously that you've heard something similar. What right. sort of take? Like, out, how do you approach that as a comedian? And are you one of these guys who's like – I need to be an enforcer who's constantly calling people out when they steal jokes or are you want of these people? I call people
1: out if I see if I see them stealing okay, jokes. Okay, so
0: you want to like you, you really want to try I don't to call out civilians.
1: That. Uh, that's what we call non-comedians. That's what Okay, so I'm a civilian. Yeah, you're a civilian. Right. I don't call out civilians for stealing jokes cuz they're sort of a um sort of a different um, morality. That goes into, I mean, like, people are always like, hey, what do you get when you cross blah, blah, blah with the blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's, I heard that one time before. You still have a joke book. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if people had to footnote all the jokes they tell? Um, <laughs> that would be terrible. But if I hear someone do a joke at an open mic that I know is on a Jim Gaffigan album and it's word for word, I'm like, that was a Jim Gaffigan joke, never never do that again. Does
0: that happen a lot? Yeah.
1: Especially new people. Yeah. Because a lot of new people don't have five minutes. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, no, I got to fill five minutes me steal these jokes. Um,
0: but I mean Do comedy clubs enforce that stuff if they find out or they like we're never going to do It's
1: It's the most dangerous thing you can do Okay. Um, in comedy because stealing a joke will travel yeah. um, and that's a really hard reputation to shake. So uh, if you get pegged as a joke thief um, you know if you do it one time there's you can have debate like if somebody's got hours of great material and one joke is stolen, then you're like, well, maybe that maybe they don't know it, you know. Like I have I have friends who suggest jokes to me, and I'm like, that's a that's a good joke, and so like I'll improve it, and now it's my joke because they're just my friends, you know, and they're doing that. But maybe I don't know that they took it yeah. from another album, right? Oh, okay. So now I'm doing a joke that was. So that's dangerous. So Google's your friend. So um, that's why you ever think of a joke. All these
0: great jokes I'm feeding you. It's not because they're not good. It's because you're just worried that I might have got them somewhere else. That, yeah, that that's true, man. It.
1: That's what well, it is. So
0: I was gonna, in, in social media. This has to change too, because I've seen, for example, you do a great Facebook status update that's some sort of hilarious joke, and then later I'll see a meme, like an image, yeah, that takes a couple lines from it. the joke, yeah, and it's and it's not necessarily all of the text, but it's the it's the key lines, the punch lines. And now it's in this meme form with just like a smaller phrase. Now if I saw that and thought that meme was funny and I'd take the punchline and build my own joke around it, right. it's a really weird it – gets, it gets really – Yeah, and the worst
1: thing is when – and I, I've had jokes stolen by meme pages. Um, it's dangerous if you're a comedian to steal a joke because yeah. your reputation will go to shit. But if you're not, there's, no danger. You're not, there's no danger. <laughs> so like someone who makes who has a meme page can just take one of my jokes, put it on a meme, not credit me. And what will happen? Nothing, right? Yeah. There will be no, re- no, no repercussions. You know, there's no, like, comedians have sort of an informal uh, um, norms yeah. that sort of enforce, uh, like, sort of intellectual property, yep. right? So, like, yep. an informal, non legal, intellectual property that's sort of self regulating, yep. right? Outside of comedians, there's no such thing.
0: I, I've, I've been the really- danger.
1: The danger is that. Uh, and, and 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 this has happened where I will tell a joke, it will get stolen, put on a meme. That meme will go viral. I will tell that joke on stage,
0: and people and are- someone
1: will tell me that I stole that joke. Yeah. So now now I'm a joke thief. You're stealing your own because joke. I stole my own joke. That's happened several times before.
0: Um, that's really interesting. I want I want to ask about a few. So specific- I could spend my
1: entire day emotionally exhausting myself,
0: huh.
1: um, trying to order takedowns. Like you know, DMCA takedowns of people's memes. You know, I, I could do that.
0: I like the way you've handled it, though. Whenever I've observed, I'll see you when you get wind of it. Oh, look! Here's a joke I did. Somebody's memefied it without putting my name on it, and it's gone over. And you'll you'll share it, and you'll usually have some sort of clever back end and compliment. Like, wow, isn't that great for that? Yeah, and then all of
1: my fans will go attack them. Yeah, and yeah. That that saves me a lot of time because I don't want to spend my days trying to. You know, um, trying to get my jokes back, you know, like, like some sort of, sort of imagining like taken the movie taken, except it's me trying to get my joke <laughs> back and I'm spending the entire movie trying to get a joke back and there's no way you can
0: get it back. Right. So I, I love that approach though, that you build up an audience. And I think this can work in a lot of contexts, not only comedy and creative arts. If you have a really engaged audience and community mm-hmm. on social media and you can sort of playfully be like hey look at i've seen other people do this too like oh look at and they just share hate mail and like i love it when i get when i hear right, it from yeah. people and they share hate mail posts people love that and people love it your audience loves it and then they'll do all the work for you like if you're weighing in in the comments if to, i to were defend to defend yourself in a serious way then something's gone wrong you haven't you haven't exactly. properly tapped your network right so if i were to
1: share a stolen meme and be like hey this page stole my meme like and then what like you know thousands of my fans Reported as plagiarized, play, you know, Facebook will take it down. Yeah, like, and so that's a e- much easier way for me to figure it out, or for me to 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 do that. But I don't want to spend my, you know, my days just. And for me, I take it personally. I start to obsess about it, and like, that's just awful.
0: So how do you how do you combat that tendency?
1: I mean, just have to ignore it. Yeah, like because there's an opportunity cost for that. Where like I could be writing jokes. Yeah. I think about that phrase so much whenever I think about anything. Yeah. I'm like, why would I do this? I could be writing jokes. Hmm. Like, why would I spend several hours cleaning my apartment when I could hire someone else to do it and spend that time writing jokes? Yeah. You know,
0: It's, it's such a powerful concept. So about your viral jokes, I mean, I've noticed in the last several months I've been seeing some stuff you've been posting that's gone nuts. That's yeah. just blown up. So give me a couple examples. What are some things that have just gone crazy for you uh, lately, in terms of some of the stuff you're sharing on on Facebook? Um, I don't know. Like I mean, it's it's weird because I I've, I've had a lot of
1: stuff about about uh, Muslims, about Donald Trump. Uh, you know, stuff that he said about Muslims. I've had a lot of that, a lot of that stuff go really viral, which is how I've sort of built like a you know Muslim. Um, or Arab-American uh, fan base. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know.
0: Okay, see, this 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 actually is a good, this reveals the, the nature of this. Uh, the way so like, this things are, like things will go viral what, was and then, you know, you'll end up with a
1: fan base.
0: Was yours the one that had the, I think this originated with you, It was a joke about... Uh, about toddlers? About doctors and uh, what percentage of it was like, what percentage of, of Muslims are doctors? Yes, Versus... Yes.
1: That was a thing. It was just, it was a silly joke, or silly sort of thing I said where I was like, you know, Muslims make up 1% of the population, make up like 10% of the doctors. So if you ever... And like, uh, whatever, 0.5% of terrorist attacks in the United States. So if you ever get shot by a Christian, you know, there's probably a Muslim who can help you. <laughs> and... That was funny for a bunch of reasons. One, it went viral, and that was great. Secondly, it got debunked by Snopes. Oh,
0: So they, they were so like, like – Snopes actually like their did – statistics are not yes, correct.
1: Yes. Snopes said my statistics were not correct. But when they went back and checked, they said it was false. But then their description was um, the data is inconclusive. And I'm like, then why are you saying it's false, Snopes? Yeah. But I just love the fact that I had a Snopes yeah. page – you have like, been
0: officially debunked. I've been
1: officially debunked by Snopes. Yeah. And the if you make their corrections,
0: it's still a point. Like, right. It's still it's still a true meme. Right. Like it's just not it's it's about assessing the relative right, risk. Right, the relative risk, right? Yeah. Like
1: what like what's your risk of it's good. getting, it's getting like, shot by a Muslim? I, I what's your risk of getting shot by a toddler? If the, just,
0: if the first question you have when you hear that joke is I want to check the data. Yeah, I, I got I to gotta check this out.
1: But, but I But I love that because like it's sort of – I mean I've learned a lot uh, watching Trump. Um, I'm not a Trump fan by any means, but I've learned a lot watching him where um, basically you say stuff, people will talk about you, and anytime people are talking about yes. you and arguing about you, it's good.
0: All press is good press.
1: All press is good press, and you just have to never back down. Yeah. Um, if you back down, if you if you come out there and apologize, you know.
0: Oh, I mean, imagine if you were like, "Hey guys, I posted this joke. I'm sorry that the data wasn't entirely accurate. I I think the 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 punchline still holds. Like the minute you right. do that, you know. Am I going to gain fans from that? No.
1: Like, you know, people who like the joke will then feel humor. stupid. Yeah. Um, for, for believing it, it's sort of like, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who. You might consider like social justice warriors, you know, people on the far left who uh, get offended by things and call people out. They have that whole culture. And uh, one thing I've learned as a comedian is just like, and this is just sort of a thing. Like I've never been like called out as like a racist or a sexist or like transphobic, and then after I apologize. The other person is like, "Oh, you know what? Cool. Yeah, great. Thank you for apologizing. Like, that's.
0: Hey, I just want to call out Jeremy for not being a racist when I thought he was because he apologized. Yeah, no one, no one. Like that's and that's standard. That's standard. You can't uncalled out.
1: Yeah, there's and and so once someone (laughs) nowadays, I think, um, depending on the group of people, um, uh, ironically, you know, conservatives. If they are offended by something you said and you apologize, they will forgive you. (laughs) Like in my experience, um, like if I offend my parents by saying something and then I apologize, they will forgive me. If I offend you know, people in my church by saying something and I know I'll forgive them. If I offend a social social justice warrior, they're gone forever. Like they will never ever be like a fan again.
0: That is a really interesting – And so now what do
1: I do? So like if I apologize – and say I'm sorry that joke was racist, right? I'm not going to win them back. They're not going to be like, "Oh, you know what? I will take two tickets to your next show." <laughs> right? They're not going to come back to me, but all the people who liked the joke, I just called them racist. Yeah. So I'll lose them too. Yeah. So what's the like what's the solution? And there's two solutions. There's the immediate solution to me, which is don't apologize, right? Never apologize, never back down, just move on, yep. right? Um and and if i offend someone personally i will go and apologize to them i will talk to them about it like in person but publicly like they want they want you to publicly say you're a horrible person that's what they want and so you just can't do that you can't do that and that's true of like i mean it's, it's not just like people on the left it's like people on the far right like you know, people get really offended, you know, saying things about Trump. And it's not like if I apologize, they'll be like, all right, cool.
0: Well, and there's something about the medium as well. I mean, I found this even with – so even if, like, if I write a blog post and I'm just writing out something, it's like 500 words and I'm making a point. You've got to decide at some point whether you want to make sure it could not possibly be misunderstood by anyone or whether you just want to get the point across. Right. And assume that most intelligent readers know that when you say something like, you know – uh, don't do things you hate. You don't mean you know. Don't brush your teeth if you right. don't enjoy it. Like you, you got to sort of the principle of charitable interpretation. You just have to. You just have to assume your readers are going to use it. And yeah. those who don't, who cares? You can't stress about them all. Right. Time and, and
1: and are those people like you know? You you really going to lose a lot if you lose those people? Like <laughs> so, you know? So. Are these people going to like mathematically as a comedian as an artist? Um, you need a thousand true fans. That's that's a that's a heuristic that I've seen um on on, online a lot i
0: feel like i've heard that a thousand true fans
1: and a true fan is someone who will spend fifty dollars on you Hmm. um a year and that's that's what you need in order to at minimum make it right so now you're making fifty thousand dollars a year right and so that's like at minimum making it and like you can do less right but you need like that's your goal like you know a thousand true fans and if you get that, you'll have a lot of people who spend less than that. Yeah. But like, those are your true fans—people who, when you come to their city, they will hire a babysitter and come see you. So and so, that's that's doable.
0: Are you are you? Was that a little jab because uh, I came to see you without my wife because we didn't have a babysitter that one time? Not at all. <laughs> that's a, actually that was an intentional transition. Not at all. Because, I, I because think... you said you said sometimes you've had to apologize to people. Have people ever come up to you after a set or even on Facebook and said? Was that joke about me or, no. an, or, like, or thought it was personal when it wasn't?: Well, besides, yes, they've said that,
1: <laughs> and they've been right. <laughs> and I've said, no. Of course not. But that's not what just happened. That's not what just happened with the two of us. No, what I think about is there's a couple in town whom my wife babysits for, who my wife, who they will hire my wife to babysit so that they can come see my show. <laughs> so while I'm on stage, my wife is babysitting their kids. Which
0: works for everyone because then she doesn't have to give you a reason why she didn't come see your show.
1: Right, that, and if, if they want to see their daughter again, <laughs> they better laugh at my <laughs> jokes, right? Because my wife is now at home with their kids. One phone call is all it's going to take. You see
0: the way the market makes us so mutually you, interdependent in such a beautiful way. Yeah, so great. Uh, that's, that is pretty, pretty amazing. So, in so but there's,
1: of- there's, there's, there's two solutions. So the one solution oh, yeah, sorry, to that is is me. The immediate solution is, you know, how you respond when you get called out. Don't um, the other solution is just the more broader social solution, which is uh, if to like shy away from total punishment of of uh, of people. Like, you know, someone tells a rape joke, and you know, people respond viciously. Maybe ju- maybe justify, maybe not. Who knows? And um. They, a lot like you know, a lot like a lot of times they'll say, "Oh, well, look at this other comedian. He's got he's got rape jokes that are like really really good and really progressive." You know, they'll, they'll show that like yours was bad, but this guy's was good. Well, that guy, that's like the hundredth time he's told that joke. Yeah. And so at first it was a, it was a crappy joke, and so like you know, allowing people time to change, allowing people time to develop their jokes, develop their material, um. That's why a lot of a lot of open mics don't let you record sets because this is the rawest stuff. This is the beginning, baby steps of this joke, and it's a terrible joke. We know it's a terrible joke. Just <laughs> Let me tell it, and then in a year or not a year, but like you know, after like fifty times I've told this joke, it'll be good. You'll like it.
0: So, is it with jokes? Is it one of those things where? You don't know if it's good or bad until you actually put it into practice in front of an audience. Yeah, I mean, you, you, and like the it comes sense. out of your mouth, do you all of a sudden realize, like, oh, yeah, now that I'm doing it on yeah, stage, I see that do. it's not good.
1: I I've developed sort of a an instinct where I know if a joke's going to go well or not, but a lot of times you don't. I mean, I know if a joke of mine is going to go over well or not. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, that's going to be good. Um, and usually, a, a, a lot of times you don't know, and a lot of times like. I'll have a story that's funny, that I think is funny, and I'm like, man, this last part, this is where they're really going to laugh, and they laugh really hard at this part. Yeah, I was going to ask you,
0: do, do I'm people like, wait?
1: Oh, uh, maybe that's the part that's really funny. I don't know.
0: So, so I saw you at the Charleston uh, comedy competition, the second year in a row that you won it, uh-huh. and your set. They had a time limit, and you you didn't get to like your last joke. And I right. asked you afterwards. Um, you know what was the reason that you ran out of time for your joke, and you said honestly, I didn't expect as much laughter and applause. Sure. So are you sometimes surprised? Like, okay, I didn't think this one would be that big of a hit.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you're like, oh, I had no idea. That's that's that was not where I was gonna. And it's the same thing with um getting fans. You know, like you do comedy, you you throw stuff out there, you find your audience. Your audience will find you. Um. And then you'll be like,
0: "Oh, I had no idea that I would end up with this kind of fan, <laughs> right? Like, this is sort of a weird." You, you didn't set out to be like the most popular comedian among Muslims. Among either. Muslim <laughs>
1: Americans, I didn't. And like, but looking back, I'm like, a lot of the stuff that I'm concerned about, a lot of the stuff that I talk about matches perfectly right. with you know with concerns about Muslims. I take religion seriously. I take conservative you know religion seriously. Um, you know, I take civil liberties and immigration and foreign policy, like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know what? In hindsight, it does sort of make sense. But I would never have known that.
0: So, so we talked a little bit about, I don't know, I guess digital hecklers or, or stealers mm-hmm. or whatever. In person, doing a live set, do you have much experience with hecklers?
1: I do. Um, and I've had to learn – like this goes against – like, Is I'm, it
0: usually just like a drunk guy yelling stuff?
1: Yeah, 99% of hecklers want to help. <laughs> they, 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 they think they're helping the set along they want to you know offer help You know they see you struggling or they see something or they're like man this would be a great punchline let me throw this out there they think that it's all and it's sort of a mindset difference where you can't change their mindset immediately so they think they're helping and there's a comedian in New York that I like a lot um, he's had like a special on Comedy Central um, Jared Logan and um, super funny guy um, I, pre- I performed with him before and uh he always said that one instinct and I have this instinct where if I'm being bullied or if I'm being you know, if someone's messing with me, my response is to go like Ender's game and like just try to destroy the person. You know, that's my that's my immediate instinct. Yeah. Um that's not necessarily a good instinct to have. And whenever there's like so part of me doesn't like
0: the whole Comedian destroys heckler yeah, videos yeah. that go viral. Yeah, some comedians can pull it off, but I, even even the ones that do it well, there's always a part of me that's like, "Wow, that was really clever," but like that guy's kind of a. it's, it's, yeah, it's you, like it's you, like beating up a, a you know, it's like on the playground, a little kid throws a rock at you, and an adult, a grown adult's like, "Oh, throw into the pond!" Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's it's unfair, right? So point.
1: it's like, yeah, it, it is, it is unfair. Um, and so I, I, yeah, you have to think we're like. Um, I had a heckler. I did a set um, at, uh, at the Sparrow um, a few weeks ago. I opened for a guy named Caleb Sinon, who's really super funny. I like him a lot. Um, and I had a heckler. He, he basically ruined my first joke, right? So he yelled something out and ruined my first joke, and I responded really mean. Like, I was really mean to him. People thought I was funny when I, like, when I was mean to him, but the rest of the set suffered. Um, because people didn't take, they now saw me as like sort of a mean guy.
0: They were like waiting for more of those jabs or something. Yeah, e- e-
1: either that or they. And like a lot of my material depends on you not thinking I'm an asshole. Yeah, yeah. So like you know like maybe I'm talking about working with people with disabilities, right? Okay, I can't tell that joke if <laughs> I just established myself as a jerk because <laughs> now you think I'm gonna and it's all subconscious. Like, yeah. It's all subconscious, but it's something that you really read the audience. They, they'll think that you're going to be really, really vicious. Um,
0: That's really. interesting. And
1: so, the Jared. One thing Jared Logan said was that the best thing to do when you have a heckler is just try and figure out why they're heckling, hmm. like vocally to them. Try and figure out like what's this person's motivation. Like, what, like, what are they doing? Are they so, trying so to? So give help? an example
0: of a time where you, or maybe if it wasn't you, if you haven't done it yet the way you'd like to, someone else. An example of how how they handled a heckler in this way that was effective. That was
1: so like I had I had another show where um, there were a bunch of people there um, who were um, older women and they were all together in a group and they were sort of being catty and like they had heckled like previous like the comics who came before me um, and there's nothing and like they were they were not being kind people like they were criticizing people like you know they were being jerks and so. Um, I got on stage and I, you know, I, I said like, um, I did, I did some soft, I did like a soft opening where I was talking about the room, talking about how great you guys were. And basically I won them over and I made them like me. Like, you guys are great. Like you're all here together. And like, so I got them to like me and then I went ahead and did the rest of my set. And like, that would have been an, even if, I mean, there's always a good feeling to like destroying someone, you know, like getting them to cry or whatever <laughs> like it feels good but like now you're the person who made them cry and you did that at the beginning of a set great like now you're the comedian so like the, the rest of your set better be hard hitting insults or you're gonna be like
0: that's a, that's a really powerful strategy that sort of disarming okay let me let me just see where this person's coming from and without not being true you know without being untrue to myself right. just connect with them for a minute and, and then move forward. And it's amazing. Like they had I, southern
1: accents, like really thick southern yeah. accents. So like one, like one of my first jokes I was like writing in my book. I was like, okay, my first several jokes are going to be about people with southern accents and about like you know the south. And like they're like, ah, now this guy. Yeah. Right? They think I'm a professional. Like, you know, and like I immediately, you know, if you talk about how you were in a different city like recently – like I was doing a show in Washington DC recently and I blah 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 now they think you're you're not an amateur they can just yeah. roll over like different things like that that you signal.
0: The, the definition of an expert is someone who traveled more than 100 miles. It's weird. Yet. I
1: mean like but people <laughs> will be like, you know, they'll see you as an amateur and heckle you, right? Or they'll see you as a professional who speaks to them and who's their friend and like to me there's 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 a sense of satisfaction that you get from destroying someone, but there's even it's it's so much of a greater feeling, like being able to turn an entire room around. Yeah, where people are not having a good time, they're heckling, um, they're you know they're against you, and suddenly they're for you.
0: You know, I, I imagine there's there's also a nice. Residual I wish I was vibes. like that in real
1: life, you know, <laughs> where if someone doesn't like me, and I can them you turn them around.
0: Turn them around, it's just like hey, if I had a mic and a stage right now, I could make you like me. Um, you know, there, there's also probably a residual effect that. So uh-huh. I know my wife, for example, one of the things, she's, she always says she doesn't like stand-up comedy. But whenever uh-huh. we watch stand-up comedy that's good, she enjoys it. But she just has this idea in her mind that it's not a category of entertainment. And I think one of the reasons is if you go to a live show, she's one of those people in the audience who is scared. Is this going to be one of the shows where they start making fun of me or right. they start calling me out? And if you have an opportunity to like go to town and humiliate someone but instead you, you take a different route – I almost feel like there's always going to be those people in the room who are not who are new to the comedy club scene, and they're like scared that yeah. There's a lot of people who cool – out
1: right and really thinking about. I mean, because in you know in our mind we become snobs about comedy, but like most people who come to see comedy shows, they're like, all right, we you know we got a babysitter, and we're gonna I'm gonna keep mentioning that <laughs> no, we like we got a babysitter. Passive we wanted addresser. to you know we looked online at what was going on tonight in the week. And, like, uh, you know, it, it, you know there was a thing in the city paper that said there was stand-up comedy. So, like, let's go there. And, like, people are looking to have a good time. And, like, there are some jokes that uh, – now, if you are a super famous comedian, yeah, then everyone who comes to your show is there to see they you. They know what they're getting. They're, they're there to see you. If you're not a super famous comedian, um, there's going to be a lot of people in the audience who came to see a comedy show. Yeah. And so you want them leaving feeling good. Yeah. You know, you want them, even like your your hard-hitting stuff, you don't want them to think they're being preached at. You you want them to think that they're, you know, um, you you want them leaving happier than when they came. Hmm. You don't want them leaving thinking about pedophiles and rape. (laughs) Like, it's, I mean, really, like, you put that in someone's mind, like, now that's what they, you know, if if you're a famous comic, you can do jokes like that. Um, But... Like it better be – I mean it better be an amazing joke to okay. not make someone's night worse.
0: So um, among comedians, is it – is there a culture of competition or is it very collaborative? Do you see – There I,
1: is – the the ones who have a uh, an attitude of competition
0: um, – well, I don't know. Competition can make people – um, better. It's so like friendly comp. Like so, when when you were at that comedy thing, you seemed to be really friendly and on good terms with all the other comedians right. there. But, but you were competing against each other.
1: Yeah, you you are you are competing. Um, but the vast majority of the time, it's you're you know you're collaborating. It's kind of like um,
0: it's like you're out there in the trenches, and even if you don't like each other, you're doing something that very right. I mean, who understand. are you really?
1: And that's because of competitions, like actual competitions, where. There's false scarcity They're like Only one person can win this prize yeah. And then you're like Okay well now we gotta compete with each other But like Other than that In Charleston Who are you competing with? Yeah Like w- w- What are these gigs That are like People are really <laughs> Like you gotta do better than somebody at There's, there's not yeah. Like you're You know You're excited to uh, To perform better with people Like you want them to Have a great show Um but you know the lizard brain in you will will be like I got to compete with this person. I got to you know it's kind of like um um I feel like libertarians harp way too much on on competition. Um and they make it sound like every actor in an exchange is competing with each other, but you're competing with other firms in order to collaborate. Yeah. So like you're your goal, you know, if you are Walmart, you are competing with Target, right? Um, if you are within Walmart, you're mostly collaborating, you know, w- w- with each other to get something done, um, and th- and that's true of like you know, comedians. So,
0: I have to imagine in, in comedy because comedy is competing with other forms of entertainment, and it's a pretty small slice of the pie. In May maybe, the but like it's like stand-up comedy. So, so when well, I don't mean in like a negative way, but so I imagine if you know when Chris Rock blew up and got huge, I imagine that actually benefited a lot of yeah for sure like I mean one thing I he had a bigger so like point. there was a
1: thing in the paper I don't even know who how it's you know, but it was about a famous comedian um who was it that that like may not do comedy again It was like um i don't know i don't read, the, <laughs> I don't read there there was a comedian recently, and they were like uh he was like, you know i, I may not do I may not like this may be my last um, album, I may just stop doing comedy." And a lot of comedians that I saw on message boards were like, great, more gigs for the rest of us. And I'm like, you're not going to get his gigs. Um, uh, yeah,
0: that's interesting. Yeah, raising the profile of it's ridiculous. comedy as a whole. Like, Oh, now that Prince, you know,
1: Prince died today, now musicians are going to get a lot better gigs. Oh, finally. Now, like, as, if, me. as if everyone ratchets up. <laughs> <laughs> like, to, like, now yeah. now the people below Prince, now they get to do Prince's shows. It's,
0: it's not like the teachers' union or whatever, where right. it's based on seniority. Right, Is no, that, it's not. It's, no, it's Sally retired. Right, like, can you
1: imagine, like, <laughs> me opening for Louis C.K., like, Louis C.K. asking me to open for him, and then after the show, me being like, it, it went terrible. He did a lot better than me. <laughs> That's that's not something that you would say. Or, You'd be like, it was awesome, he crushed.
0: Or, or you're opening for Louis C. K. and uh, he says, Hey, I'm gonna cancel my next for I'm taking I'm taking I'm quitting comedy. It's not like you're the vice president. Now I
1: get to do the show, right? <laughs> no, it's always good news. Yeah. Like, I mean it's compar- you know, there's comparative advantage that goes in with that. Where like, you know, whenever you meet people who are also funny, like it's good news. Like yeah. you get to collaborate with them, you get to make each other funnier. Um, and so that's why people move to chicago and new york and la and it's because then you get to be, a, to, be to be around the funniest people
0: yeah, i think that's almost harder for fans to understand than the people and it, you see this in sports where like players that compete you know tom brady and peyton manning whatever i mean who knows maybe they hate each other but it's really common to see athletes at a very high level be really good friends and same with, you know, entrepreneurs, like, because when you're doing something at a very high level that not a lot of people do, there's a sort of loneliness to it. Like sure. you're out there on your own and like the, your, the goodness of your craft any given day can affect your livelihood. Mm-hmm. You kind of gravitate towards others who can understand sure. being there with you and you've got a, a bond there. Okay, Jeremy. So let's, let's wrap this up by asking if someone wants to become part of your tribe. Someone wants to become part what's of the, my. Tribe. What's the best way? Do you have like a, an email list on your website, or should they go to uh, Facebook? Yeah, go to Jeremy McClellan
1: Comedy on Facebook. They can go to uh, jeremymcclellan.com, um to see. Uh, we gotta my get you. Gotta get website. you to have an email. I, I need to have an email list. We'll, gonna... we'll get
0: that. We'll get that going we'll because that going. that's that's a great way. But to for make now, try
1: just like me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter.
0: Awesome, Jeremy. This has been a blast, and uh, hey. Well maybe we should make this like an annual thing. We can, yeah, let's we can do it, check man. in on your progress. Yeah.
1: All right? Next month I'll be, you know, next year I'll, I'll be a homeless person. Like Yeah, it'd like, be great. Oh, yeah. be like, so Jeremy, how'd your career fail? <laughs> I'll talk about that too. that will be awesome.
0: It's going to be great. JeremyMcClellan.com. Check him out Jeremy McClellan comedy on Facebook.